Welcome, everyone. This is Hai, the CEO of Eva.Guru, and today I have my co-host, uh, Omar, uh, who is the... Hi, how are you doing? This is Omar, Margin Business again. Exactly. So <laughs> and now, again, we are from U.S., from San Diego, and Omar uh, from Europe. Uh, we are, uh, you know, starting our um, aggregators and brands show, and we have a great guest. Uh, thank you for coming, uh, Laura, and uh, it would be great if you can introduce uh, yourself to the audience. Hi, Laura. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Yes. Hi, I am Laura Meyer. I'm the founder and CEO of Envision Horizons, and Envision Horizons is a full-service Amazon agency. Uh, but in addition to my agency, my husband and I also have our own Seller Central business. So I myself has been, have been a seller since uh, 2017. And prior to my Amazon service journey, I worked for Amazon's media group in New York City, which is how I learned of this crazy world and where I saw the initial opportunity. That's great. Like, I mean, a lot of people start first selling on Amazon. I mean, I am pretty much one of them too. And it's <laughs> sticky. I mean, so sticky. And I'm like, uh, sometimes thinking like, I mean, each time I'm in this for almost like nine years now, but every day there is a new thing that I learn. And it's so amazing that like, oh, yes, every stopping thing. And we're going to talk about a few of these new things today as well. So we normally, uh, you know, start with like, uh, as it's an aggregators and brand show. And uh, I mean, I know that you deal with a lot of aggregators, a lot of brands, uh, also like some of the brands probably you are managing, maybe acquired by aggregators, which uh, I'm pretty sure that these are happening. So uh, what's your view of the aggregator model and, and how, how do you think like this will continue? Maybe the history and, you know, what's going on today and what's your view about the future of it? Yes. So I appreciate that the aggregator world has slowed down a little bit because there's no question it moved a little too quickly and a lot of money was lost as a result through bad acquisitions, bad integrations, potential overhiring. But the aggregator model itself is a great business model. If you look, you know, it's, it's a model that's not native to Amazon. There's Procter & Gamble, there's Unilever, there's Kimberly Clark. There's these large parent organizations that technically are aggregators of consumer brands. Yes. And I think where some bad acquisitions were made is that some of these acquisitions were made on products and not brands. So what I mean by that is when it's a product and maybe it was a really hot product for a year or two and they had a really strong P&L but then that product gets discovered by competitors and it gets commoditized. That's where a lot of these aggregators ended up losing money on their investments. But, you know, to call out a relevant event that happened this week, Hero Cosmetics, which started off as an Amazon native brand. Uh, I joke that like I met Ju back when her business was still fairly new and I got stuck in her elevator in Chinatown because, you know, they, one, one thing that I really appreciated about her business and her uh, fundamentals 
is that they were very profit first driven. And she's always drove a very healthy business model. And my point in this is that I think there were some acquisitions that happened in this uh, aggregator gold mine, gold rush that happened where some of those businesses probably lacked some of those fundamentals, which made surprises come up after the close of the sale and obviously caused a lot of issues. I also think when you go and you acquire 20, 100, whatever it is, businesses, and you try and bring them all together at once, there are going to be massive processes, massive personnel issues. And, you know, even a company like Procter & Gamble, they're not acquiring 100 brands in a two-year period. You know, they, they take their time. They do their due diligence. I think the due diligence part was you know, maybe overlooked because of that just uh, mad rush mentality of like, if we don't buy them, someone else is. So I, I like that it slowed down because I think it, a lot of the existing aggregators today are now taking a step back. They're being more conservative in their investments. And in general, I'm happy that there's been this shift in businesses, not only in the Amazon space, but everywhere of having the long-term view versus this short-term spend as much money as possible. We're not actually making money, but investors are continuing to give us money. So we're just going to spend it. It's just like, that's just not a healthy business model. And that's what leads to major layoffs and businesses having to close their doors is because like at the end of the day, a business is built to make money <laughs> and I've never really understood having a business long-term that doesn't make money. Um, obviously Amazon themselves didn't make money for very long, but that was through reinvestment, not through flagrant spending. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's, that's super great points. And you, you know what I like, actually, I, li I like your background and the point of view because your background is uh, Amazon. Um, then you went into selling. And now you have a whole other view uh, with a, with an agency. Um, it's uh, it's it's pretty refreshing to to see it this way because the the the, the aggregator space. I th what I what I personally believe is that the aggregator space as well put pressure on Amazon.com because now we have as well they're slowing even down with uh, with um, hiring people. So I think somewhere the industry got took a little hit. Of, of all of this uh, big money coming in, although it should not because Amazon is so big, but um, agencies like yours, um, do you feel anything of that kind that right now there's a little bit, uh, a little bit of pullback on hiring on Amazon? I mean, do you feel it in terms of products or brands which are coming at you? Because there have been a lot uh, aggregators, um, there have been aggregators acquiring a lot of brands and working on themselves, or do you feel they want to reach out and trying to get somebody working on their brands right now? What, what, how do you see the whole situation? I think high for you is as well a very good um, question because you can see it through your software actually as well. Yeah, so what I'll say is I actually haven't had any clients acquired by an Amazon aggregator. And that is largely due to the fact that our target client is a multi-channel brand where they are, they're in brick and mortar. They have their own D2C. Maybe they have distributor partnerships. 
And Amazon is just one piece of the puzzle. It's not the entire puzzle. So, you know, the point you bring up of me potentially losing business to aggregators, that actually hasn't happened. I've helped aggregators with their businesses, but I'm what I'm primarily focused on is when a business has a thriving brick and mortar business and they're trying to figure out Amazon, we come in and we help them with their strategy so that Amazon enhances the overall strategy and doesn't necessarily cannibalize from some of the other channels that are successful for that brand. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that reply. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Maybe a few points on the, you know, your comments uh, about the aggregators. One is like, um, or two things, like you mentioned Procter & Gamble and uh, uh, when I was in Oracle, so so before starting EVA, uh, I was working in Oracle in the, as a vice president of uh, the data department and Procter & Gamble was one of the biggest customers too. And uh, one of the things that fascinated me all the time, if PNG wants to do an acquisition, they really very much focus on the R&D and the supply chain, which is a combination because supply chain, it's not only about replenishing Amazon inventory, but like where all these parts are coming together, how they are, you know, going into the R&D in terms of both, maybe there is a software piece, there is the all manufacturing piece, but, and it takes months, you know, to, to come to a conclusion. So which kind of, um, one of like two weaknesses that I have seen with the aggregator model from the day one is, the less lack of focus on that supply chain and the lack of focus on the product innovation. For example, yeah. you have this lemon squeezer. Okay, it's great, it's selling. But the thing is, the owner is always spending a lot of time to improve that lemon squeezer to the next yes. generation, next version, where I haven't seen that much happening. Like there is always a focus on like, oh, there is a great product. Now that we just buy it and, and buy the product and continue to sell without, you know, too much investment into the innovation where right. the investment was primarily the owner itself himself was the, the innovator. And when you take out the owner from the equation, you're actually removing the innovation of the product as well. So that's kind of my... Well, when when all these brands were finding their products on Alibaba as their sourcing tool, like there's no competitive advantage to that. Sure, you can tweak the design slightly, but there's no question uh, marketing starts with having a great product. I mean, this is what... Yeah, sorry. Well, and, and I think that, you know, to the example earlier of Hero Cosmetics, like... Fundamentally, they started with a great and innovative product, and then they worked out from there. By the way, I just want to, I mean, this is a great point. I mean, uh, we already, you know, aggregators, uh, we already talk about them, but now you mentioned the Hero Cosmetics like two times, and it's a big deal. I mean, it's a, it's a very important thing. I just want to share my screen about like uh, a Market Pulse um, article about the oh, yes. cosmetics which is sold by 630 million. And I mean, I would like to mention a few things here and then Laura, maybe want to get your opinion because this can be a, a great example of a lot of brands like what maybe they should do. For example, a couple of interesting things here. Uh, the 630 million is a 14X multiple of a 45 million EBITDA 
And uh, I mean, that is amazing, right? 14 multiple. Because today with the aggregators, the other thing we are talking about is like, well, these guys were paying 5X, 7X, and now they are like 2.5X, 3X range. And while we are talking about it, this particular brand is getting a 14X multiple. Now, the second thing is here, it's very interesting. They start around, let's say, January, uh, I mean, maybe like in 2018. And then there is some, you know, kind of like uh, moving. This is more the sales rank of the mighty patch. But when we look at it, starting from almost mid-2020, these guys are ranked number one. Right. So, and, and there were a few things that happened here. Um, okay. One, I think in 2020 was when they finally brought on some investment. So they started doing some more upper funnel marketing. Um, and also maybe they were able to, I, I think they've always had a really good supply chain, but like I remember when they were on Good Morning America, it immediately shot them to the top of health and households, like that entire category, not just like the pimple patch niche, but um, beyond. But I think, you know, the big thing about beauty uh, specifically, but innovative products like this is they have that barrier to entry, where if you're selling a lemon squeezer or juicer, whatever your example was, there's not a big barrier to entry there. So anyone can go and copycat and sell it for a cheaper price. Where one thing Kira Cosmetics was great about was they weren't super promotional. They held strong on their price point because they had the product innovation. And that's why they have, I think, a 39% EBITDA, which is really fantastic. Absolutely. By the way, the third point that I want to make here, because a lot of brands always ask me this question, where to start, right? I mean, especially the CPG brands. Now, and I don't think that this is like the the only way, right? I mean, some of them starts from retail, some of them goes for D2C. It also depends on the brand, but it's also important what uh, what the owner is telling about it. Like they started on Amazon, low resources, good cash flow, proof of concept. Another thing they did was only focusing on a few SKUs. And finally, by focusing on that few SKUs, they were able to get to this uh, ranking point, which is one or two. So once they were able to achieve the ranking on the category as being the top three, the next thing is like, you know, go to retail, low resources, good for market validation, marketing. And finally, as a last step, they went to D2C. I mean, I personally think, I mean, of course, of course, I am biased, like probably you you guys are too, that Amazon is the right place to start. (laughs) And because you don't have the brand awareness and it's a great place, low resources, good cash flow. The only thing is it's very complex. It's a jungle. So you need, uh, you need Laura, you need Omar, you may need some software, but like you need all this different, like people to help you or the agencies, because I think it really doesn't make sense for a retail, for a brand just to jump into Amazon uh, on their own because Mm -hmm. it's a real jungle. But if it works, it can really work, right? So yeah. what's your view on that go-to-market strategy? I mean, aligned with, you know, that uh, success of um, the brand that, you know, the the um, Hero Cosmetics that we are talking about. Yeah, and I think 
it doesn't matter what the channel is, whether it's Amazon, whether it's C2C or whether it's retail, it's going to be hard and you're going to need smart, motivated people on your team to do it correctly. And I think a mistake that I've seen other brands or businesses make is when they try and do all the channels at once. So they're mediocre at everything and they're not great at anything. And going back to the the flow you just walked through of doing Amazon specialty retailers than D2C, they did it in a strategic timeline where they got really good at Amazon, then they brought on something new, got really good at that, and, and then they moved on. And whether it's social media management or whether it's your e-commerce management, you know, don't try and be Facebook, TikTok, be real, and all of these social platforms all at once. Like find that one, own it, and then you can expand. Cause I, I think as entrepreneurs or as business owners, it's very easy to get distracted with the next shiny thing. You see this brand doing it. Oh, let's try it. But you need to have that strategy backing your business and having that plan to properly execute it. Otherwise, nothing really ever gets done properly. <laughs> I, I, completely, I completely agree with that as well, Hi. Um, uh, just, just one question, because, because you mentioned now for, for the U.S. in general, I mean, cosmetics, we know high entry level. Uh, you need a lot of uh, cash flow. You need a lot of uh, people. You need a whole setup. This is, uh, you know, it's not a, a mom and mom and pop shop uh, um, setup. So when when we look at smaller businesses, like for example the 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 the, the squeeze the lemon squeezer, yeah, we I remember uh, it was Aaron actually who uh, I, I remember when I remember him, I need to smile, you know, because it was so so funny how he explained. Uh, it's the owner of the lemon squeezer. So I mean, if you have such products, you know, and you move to the U.S., um, you yourself do you Do you oh, do you look at the European market at some at some point or not? Because because there um, the entry level is even lower. So if you want to do something, you you can really make like a lot of money and undermine everyone who is in the U.S. who's who's you know fighting and struggling to not to survive but for their place for the ranking and and everything. And then you can go to the to, to the EU and you can actually have a lower entry level you have a lower uh, ppc you can uh, undermine if you have a plan what you're doing through keywords and everything you really have a plan you you can you can really uh make a lot of money in the european union and uh, that's that's just uh, that's what i wanted to ask you is, is there any uh, in your uh, in your view is there anything going on at the moment um for brands going uh, to the european union i mean there's no question there's an early mover advantage right But I think to, to your point, you know, you have to have that plan and that strategy. So if your Amazon US business isn't in a good place with your supply chain and your logistics or even your profitability, now is probably not the time to go and bite off a whole nother continent, right? Like if you're in a good place in your US, yeah, now might be the time to start strategically thinking about launching in Europe. But You also want to make sure on the admin side of things that your accountant is aligned, that you're compliant with whatever products you're selling within those countries. You know, it's not as easy as flipping a switch. Sure. Uh, you, you have to make sure you're doing everything correctly. No, no, I agree. I agree completely with you uh, uh, about that. 
But just like I said, you know, if everything is set up and you really you really can make a difference, you know, in the uh, on the European market because you know the sellers are almost the same amount as in the U.S. and the market is uh, it's very easy to reach. And you know, for 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 what we just talk about, uh, talked about before the the change of the product, for example, the amendment, the the the, uh, the improvement of the product is so easy because you can actually uh, look into all categories with with the reviews. Um, everything is uh, in different languages, and it's not like in the U.S. where you have one opinion um, and in one language. You know, you have like eight languages where different cultures are in, so you get different insights. So you can really like improve this product. Uh, having two handles on it. I don't know, just completely mm -hmm. crazy stuff with different opinions in, in different countries. So that product, for example, could, could sell a lot more even, you know, so the potential is, is, uh, is amazing. That's, uh, that's what I wanted to, uh, to explain just to you. That's why I was asking, yeah. is there any relation for you now at the moment with the brands moving to the European Union or um, do you really focus only on the US for now? Yeah, so we absolutely help our brands expand internationally. Uh, you know, we just put it into the process. So, like, we've had clients where in our first month working together, they're like, oh, by the way, we'd also like to launch these five countries. We're like, that sounds great, but let's put it into the, the planning calendar because we still have a lot to do here in the U.S., which is what we were originally contracted for. And then we can start to talk about how you want to handle Canada, how you want to handle UK, how you want to handle Germany. And our normal process is when we give them the list of all of the like that and compliance and admin stuff that they are in charge of figuring out, because that is not what my firm does. Like that sure. is on their ops team. Uh, you know, they need to get that in order and then we can discuss the timeline to launching in those categories or sorry, in those countries. But we we typically like to launch in either UK or Germany first, unless there's a reason we should be in Italy or France or Spain. And then, you know, you open up the uh, the FBA order setting where we can then track to see what other countries are getting a bulk of those orders. And then we use that data to decide if there's other countries that make sense. Well, wow, that's uh, I, I like that approach. You know, I really like that approach because because you know it's uh, um, there's not too many agencies from the U.S. who are actually moving into into the EU because, as you said, um, there is uh, plenty space in the U.S. Uh, definitely, and there is so much to do. So same for us. U EU is so so big, and there's so many things to do that we still didn't jump. 100% into the US. So just, uh, yeah, thank you for that uh, that comment. What do you think about that hype? Well, I mean, you know, as I am the data guy, I always look <laughs> at the data and mm -hmm. I try to explain to the customers. So let's say there is a an additional 50K investment to be made, uh, whether they should invest that 50K in the US market and what would be the return versus investing into an expansion and what will be the return not only on the short term, but also on the long term. Uh, I always try to recommend that, like, to have a presence, to have the ratings and uh, reviews first uh, in the first country that they launch, 
because yeah. we also, you know, sometimes even start from UK. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, just because it's a software company as well. So there's a lot of like UK or German or Spanish customers using it. And uh, and then, you know, the, there has to be a validation or a product market fit before maybe expansion. Uh, because mm-hmm. if it's, it's not like, oh, we failed in US now, let's try UK. <laughs> it's typically not so, but it, there has to be some 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 type of a, a, a validation of the of the product by the reviews and ratings. Um, as, I mean, I think you know, like we we all we are already. I have still like two things that I would like to ask that Laura. One of them, I think, uh, maybe I can ask them in a, in a combination. So the first one is like uh, the first thing that I mentioned was every every day I woke I wake up I see a new thing happening on Amazon. Right yes. now, for example, from a software point of view, we deal with the Amazon marketing stream and Amazon marketing mm-hmm. cloud, which will bring real-time bidding. Uh, we know that like DSP is improving every day, and also some of the DSP elements are coming into sponsored display, which also means that more people can use it in a way of like a, a mini DSP. So there is like all the all these things going on on the Amazon world as well as and the q4 is coming so uh, the winter is coming and 50 percent of the amazon sales typically happen around uh, q4 so yes. how do you like what's your recommendation to the brands maybe we can uh, take your few uh, top three things to do for the brands now as it's september and how do you see the innovation on Amazon and this real-time bidding and the impact of that to the Amazon world? Okay, so lots to unpack there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna first start with the Amazon innovation piece, and then we can close with like top three things to do for holiday. So I I'm very excited about Amazon's sophistication and innovation for their media platform because even when I work for Amazon's media group and a lot of my colleagues had come over from Facebook and Google, Amazon sits on a massive amount of data. And at that point, back when I was there in 2015, you know, they just didn't have the infrastructure built or really even the true resources to truly harness the power and the value of that data of that data. And, you know, it's still funny to think how, Amazon, you can't even geo-target your ads yet with Google. Like that should be an easy feature to roll out, but they just don't do it. Um, Cause like, I think of some of my clients that say sell sunscreen. It'd be really cool if I could geo-target in the winter months, just the lower, the lower states or some, you know, give me, give me Texas, Florida, California. I don't need to be uh, surfing ads in Michigan for the month of January, right? Or like hypothetically. So I I really love where they're headed. Um, we're, we're huge advocates right now of clients diversifying their ad spend across DSP, OTT, in addition to what they're doing with the standard ad console ad units. So sponsored product, sponsored brand, sponsored display. Um, in my experience, Sponsored display usually doesn't perform as strongly as just doing DSP directly. That's 
I, I feel like that's kind of what a lot of people have seen. But if you don't have a DSP seat, I highly encourage at least testing DSP because you're getting ad placements that you wouldn't normally have access towards that in, or for that inventory. Um, I also really love that it's getting into real time bidding. Like this is how we can truly become sophisticated and Amazon become a true media buying platform, right? Yeah. Where now we're going to like true stock market style ad tech which has been around for a while uh, on a lot of DSP trading desks and, and seats, um, or I should say programmatic seats. And yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about it. I love what they did with the VPP technology, the virtual product placement. We have started to explore testing it for some of our clients, but it's, I think, a $200,000 minimum investment and there's no guarantee ROI like that is straight, just like fun brand awareness money that you, you test. So we always try and maximize out our ad budgets uh, on efficiency levels before getting to that level. Um, now, as it pertains to prepping for holiday. Uh, so I would say my, my top three pieces of advice. Uh, number one, inventory. You have to make sure that you're in a healthy place. I know it might be a little too late for that, but start prepping your warehouse, hire someone else in your warehouse, make sure that you're getting that inventory out on time to meet Amazon's deadlines so that you don't lose the momentum because losing the momentum is the worst on Amazon. You get the rug pulled out from underneath you. My other piece of advice it, and this is kind of like basic advice, but as you head into the holiday season, spend some time and just take a step back because it's so easy to get caught in the day to day and just search for your product. See what that user experience is, experience that firsthand and really challenge yourself to critically think, you know, what do if I didn't know anything about this product, would I understand what I'm saying on the product detail page? Is there an opportunity to better optimize my visual storytelling and my visual selling before I go into holiday where I'm going to spend more on ad dollars? Uh, I guess kind of a part of that is making sure you have your SEO in check too, like just do a basic SEO audit. Um, take a look at your index keywords. Are there trending keywords in the brand analytics reports that you should maybe start to, to add in? Look at last year's brand analytics reports to see if there are searches that are relevant, like stocking stuffers, whatever it is for your product. Um, and just making sure you're indexed for that and those are included in your ad campaigns. My third and final piece of advice as it pertains to holiday is really try and brainstorm doing something different and out of the norm. Everyone's doing sponsored product. Everyone's doing sponsored brand. What can you, everyone's participating in Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Prime Day, number two in October, whatever it is. What can you do as a brand that will be different to help you stand out? And there's obviously a lot of things that you could do, like, Maybe you really lean into publisher placements, you know, being on those listicles, really leaning into Amazon affiliate marketing, 
and putting time and resources now into sending product and building those relationships with editors at top publications that do these listicles. Maybe it's doing a big influencer push and trying to start a viral TikTok campaign. Come up with your own dance for your product, if if that's relevant, of course. Um, or maybe there's other, you know, just try and do something that not every other Amazon seller is going to be doing. Wow, that's such a good, you know, it's super good advice. And usually I'm... Uh... Uh, at point two, I, I completely agree, you know, and as well the other points, but usually I'm as well very much on point two on the optimization side and using the data from last year, you know, without breaking the head too much, you know. Uh, I think you agree with that, Mr. Uh, data Analyst. Uh, <laughs> hi, as well. <laughs> well, the data says yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, it makes a lot of sense as well. But, I mean, it's a it's a great way of summarizing, like, the top three things maybe to be done. Uh, I'm more into the, the number three because, you know, uh, by the way, everybody, when you tell about like inventory, you need to make sure you have inventory. And I was like, of course I have the inventory. <laughs> and that next day it's like, you know, oh, I don't have any inventory on this SKU. Ah, uh, it's so <laughs> painful. It's so painful. <laughs> so that's, and also now Amazon again, like, like just two months ago, it's like, oh, we have so much space. There is like, we're going to do three PR services, et cetera. That's the Amazon uh, pitch. And now the restrictions come on the FBA inventory right after that. <laughs> By the way, I, I think those restrictions are, my hypothesis is that those restrictions are based more on labor than warehousing space. Absolutely. Just that's because, what I think it is. Uh, I mean, just because uh, we in uh, on Eva, I mean, I'm the you know back to the data guy, but you know, <laughs> warehouse guy, and it's not the problem to uh, to lease the space. I mean, I, I mean, we have like more than a hundred thousand square feet. We can, I can make it hundred fifty. Finding the right people to work in the warehouses is extremely difficult right now, specifically in the U.S. Uh, and it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very difficult task. So I fully agree with you. Uh, one, one thing that we found, for example, now Amazon receive times are so, uh, long. Like, I mean, you see the inventory and then they don't receive for like a week, sometimes two weeks. So, uh, we got some EVA trucks now. So the EVA truck, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, so I'm not good. a truck guy. I'm like, <laughs> and you know, one, one of my actually computer engineers is even so interested. He's doing the truck job just to learn about like a few things, like how can we make this more efficient? But the thing is, um, having your own truck is really helping to deliver the Amazon uh, packages to Amazon, which then they receive at the same day. So that's kind of a crazy thing, but ended up like buying, like getting trucks, you know, like, so. Perfect. Because, um, perfect. It really helps us to, to, to help the, uh, the brands, uh, with the 3PL. Uh, but Laura, I mean, great advices. Uh, and also you shared like your view on the innovation. I think, uh, I am like super positive about like the things will be, much better. I mean, like this real time bidding, you mentioned the, 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 the geo focused ads or 
I mean, I don't know if Amazon will ever do that, but I fully agree with you. Like, uh, I mean, we have the, like, they know where these customers are, are shopping and they know where their average orders are being delivered to. So I don't see why they can't do it, but I'm, I'm sure there's a strategic and, uh, reason why. One of the things like I know, I mean, I normally do not like, I mean, I, I just jumped to a product demo, but like two seconds, like this is something from Eva which we always tell the customers like where they sell and in which state and what are the top states. And they can even go into details of that. And there is like, even with that, just one single dashboard, there is so much information hidden in this dashboard. Like, oh, maybe we should do a Google campaign in Philadelphia versus Ohio or something like that. And even shipment decisions, because you may come up with a different uh shipping model, not just for Amazon. By looking at Amazon data, the brands can, for example, decide on the D2C side what type of uh, negotiation they may have with the carriers uh, as well. You know, so that's that type of things are always uh, pretty helpful. Uh, and uh, and it's very different from state to state, what the people like, the behavior, exactly. the consumers I mean, you know, in European Union, it's like totally different between the German guy and the way he buys and the Spanish guy. But the thing is, like, I'm in San Diego, like, I mean, California is like, whenever I go to another state, I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm in a different country. Oh, yes, but it would be great if they could cut this down in Amazon at some point, you know, that would be so amazing, you know, and this would even... I, I'm 100% sure they would boost the sales within the, 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 the different states as well, you know, because you can target the states actually. Wow, this would be, that would be another uh, amazing tool or, you know, I don't know how technically it can be possible, but it's it should cool. be like on the same level as Amazon FBA, uh, Wisconsin, totally. Amazon FBA, I, uh, Florida, I, you know. <laughs> well, and, you know, you think of the apparel companies, um, and like, what is it? Is it Fanletics or fa- uh, the um, the the company that sells all like the NFL and NBA gear? Like, imagine if they could geotarget on right. Amazon. Yeah, like, that's yeah. huge. That's huge. That and it's it's yeah. it, the thing is, it's possible. It's just like because the data is there. I mean, I I have the data, <laughs> but it's just. <laughs> They don't have that service. But I mean, this is already like a great uh, conversation. I think it's very valuable for for the brands. So thank you very much, Laura, for for joining us today. And I know that- Thank you, Laura. That's so much great insight, you know, thank you. A little bit out of time, but I think it's great. So thanks for- Thank you so much for having me. And it was a pleasure meeting you both. Thank you. Thank you. Speak later.